From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. And so, I know you talked a little bit about the the research that's gone into this approach that you put out there. So what what is some of that research? I'd love to hear some of your findings as you're going through that. Mm. Well, first of all, as I mentioned, we, according to, you know, and everyone's got their own theory, but the most strongest research is 98% of children score high on that divergent thinking test, which is the ability to, to take two unrelated ideas, put them together and come up with something new. And as we said, that that drops to 2% as an adult. Now, I've got a cute little video I made years and years ago where I went into my daughter's schools, an international school. I went right from great kindergarten right through to year 12 and said, who thinks they're creative and why? And all the kindergarten kids are going, me, 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 me. And all the, and by the time it's year 12, they're just sitting there. And it really was a graph, a straight line graph. And I went to the teacher and I said, you know, I had a good relationship with the teacher. I said, well, what's happened? You've basically taken them through six years of school and, and killed their enthusiasm for learning, killed their creativity. And he said, well, school, by the time it gets to high school, is rewarding correct answers. It's not rewarding creative answers. Now, your previous podcast guy, you know, talked about AI. AI is going gonna, is gonna to completely automate correct answers. We're not going to be employed for giving correct answers anymore. The computers will do that for us. So the whole school needs to think about rewarding correct answers. All you're doing is competing with AI by the time you leave school. We need to be rewarding the creative answers and helping people understand that process and what it means. So I think that's something that's really important that we need to do. That's the first bit of research. And then, as I mentioned, we started realizing there was no point in teaching design thinking if we didn't actually address the the real issues that people had as they came into the room. And we gathered them all and we came up with seven. And they were control, fear, pressure, narrow-mindedness, apathy, pessimism, and groupthink. And they those seven seven categories, we we call them the, the mafia, you know, and, and the mafia bosses. Even under, as I said, even inside fear, you've got fear of the unknown, fear of risk fear of uncertainty. You know, inside pressure, you've, you've got the media, you've got multitasking, and you've got that constant 24-7 going on. So we even broke the seven characters down into what we call sub-characters. And if you're playing that, if you're playing along with the metaphor, you've got to ask, who's the big dawn? Who's the, who's the big killer? Is it, is, does control create the, the over-controlling boss? Does that create fear? Or does fear create control. I mean, that's an interesting combination, you know, which one drives which, because we're trying to get to the bottom of it and helping people understand what, what is it that they had as children, assuming 98% of the audience were creative as children. They're sitting in the workplace right now and they're asked to be creative. We, we know from the research and the surveys that creative thing is one of the number one things that CEOs are looking for at the moment. And so it, it's, it's gone from being, you know, good at your job or efficiency or, or selling Creative thinking has become one of the number one skills that if you want to upskill yourself, that's what you need to learn. And if you want to learn it, you first got to address what's killed it. If you were creative as a kid, go back and think about your own journey of what, what happened in your life over that period of being a, high, a, a kindergarten kid through to now your age and ask yourself, where did I go off the rails? Where was my creativity killed? Who killed it? And how do I get it back? I mean, let's make sure we get to the positive side of this podcast and not spend too much time on the negative. But 
it was really interesting then working with the psychologist and neuroscientist and asking him, okay, what's going on in our brain when we're pressured? So for example, and this is Mikhail Chikmahal, I was researching his book, Flow, that if you're interrupted, I think it takes 30 minutes or 29 minutes to get back into a creative state of flow. So think about this. You're being asked by your boss to be creative. And every 29 minutes, someone interrupts you, whether it's your phone, someone knocking on your door, email, Slack, something coming into that, that busy life. You can go hours, days, weeks, months, years without being creative, simply from the one piece of research. And that is, it takes 29 minutes to get into that, 30 minutes to get into that straight state of flow. And that's why we tend to have our most creative ideas. When I mean creative, I mean connecting two things together, not artistic. That's why we tend to have our most creative ideas in the shower, because at the moment we can't bring our devices in. On the toilet, although dare I say they've now invented an iPad porta potty holder, which means even kids can now sit there with their iPad on the porta potty and, and press buttons. I mean, I hope they don't get their hands mixed up between which one's wiping and which one's pressing. But but now, now we're even getting into the stage where even our most private timing is being interrupted. Or people say they have their most creative ideas when they're on holidays. There are reasons for this. And so if a boss thinks he can just, on a Friday night, bring in pizza and Coke and ask people to do a hackathon after working all day and expect by Saturday morning, because for some reason hackathons are trendy, to stay up all night and think that they're going to come up with creative ideas, he is absolutely fighting an uphill battle. He's fighting an uphill battle with the neuroscience. It won't let them happen because we haven't created the right environment to be creative in the first place. And, and one last example, I got taken to a, the top floor of a very large, I won't say, but a Fortune 50 company. They have the most beautiful innovation lab in Singapore, top floor view across the whole of Singapore Harbour, showing the multi-millions of dollars they've spent making this beautiful innovation lab. And I had to give the obligatory wow because it wasn't the first lab I'd seen before. And then eventually the boss brings me into the side room and I said, how's it going? And he said, it's not. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it's still not working. I said, well, you've spent all the money on the hardware. How much money have you spent on training and development and, and creating the right culture? Zero. He said, the, the, the bosses are still being controlling. They're still under pressure. There's still a level of negativity and pessimism in the room. I said, well, whilst those killers are enjoying the luxury of your renovation lab, you won't be creative. Those killers need to leave. And I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about fictional, fictional voices in our head. But the culture didn't change. They thought they could bring in innovation and creative thinking and problem solving by spending money on the innovation lab. They didn't spend any money up here. And this was the mistake that so many companies make. They're not addressing the real issue first. And so I won't go into all the neuroscience in the book, but it's certainly an interesting read and it was an interesting working with a neuroscientist, explaining what was going on from that perspective. Oh, I was looking at some of the companies you've been working with. I mean, the likes of, I think, Google and, you know, some of the big brands, household brands that we all know about. In your experience, are there any particular stories of success that you could share where you've seen the work that you've done has had a direct impact on increasing creativity within that organization? 
I think the most interesting case study we've got was, and given, let's start with the most impossible task. We were working with a five-star flagship hotel of a very, very well-known brand. A lot of the brands don't own the hotels, but this particular hotel was owned by the hotel, which meant when COVID hit, the money was bleeding out. So you know that hotels, hotels and airlines were the most affected by COVID significantly. It just went from almost to zero. And luckily we got a budget approved before COVID to, to teach creative thinking and, and uh, with this with this hotel, a very proactive GM. He just arrived. It was quite a toxic culture within the hotel. So we spent a good six months, you know, working with the culture, getting the culture working, helping them understand it was a brand new hotel. So the money, the money had already been sunk. The money hadn't come back yet. And then to top it all off, just as they were really ready to start making revenue, COVID hit for two years and they were absolutely sunk. Now, why this is a success story is I took them through the whole Who Killed Creativity, and then we got into the how to get it back, which I want to emphasize. And that is really our version of design thinking, but our seven design thinking stages are the rescuers, and they match the seven suspects and killers, which match the seven rescue strategies. So we like to connect it all together. So we took them through the whole process. It wasn't just a one-day intervention. And we, we left them with the tools of design thinking, as I said, our seven rescuers. And we showed them how to do it. We gave them case studies of how to do it. We showed them how other companies have successfully done it. And then we left them and then COVID hit. And I thought, oh gosh, you know, I, I was too afraid to say, how are you going? Because I thought, oh, they're going to say, we, we're, all, we're all about to jump off the top floor of the building. Anyway, the GM wrote back to me after six months and he said, you wouldn't believe it, but we got our heads down during COVID. And we said, we're going to use your design thinking stages to identify the problem, look at our, who our customer is, what solutions we can come up with, how we're going to make sure we, we really think outside the box. We're going to prototype it. We're going to test it and we're going to come up and make it work. And they took COVID and they turned it into a, into a positive. And what they ended up doing is he said, we knew nothing about quarantining back then. No one back then understood where COVID was going. It was a five-star hotel. No one wanted to, you know, they didn't want to use the hotel for quarantine. And they tipped the whole thing around and they came up with a tagline, return home, be treated like royalty. So instead of everyone being shoved in these crappy quarantine hotels where it was two weeks of hell... They started positioning themselves of, you come to our hotel and for two weeks, you're going to be treated like royalty. It became the number one wanted hotel in, the, in its capital city. They made three quarters of a million dollars off the idea. I wish I'd charged a commission. They were the only hotel in Asia in their chain to make money. And they were the only hotel to be able to pay their staff a bonus. Now, as I said, if that's not a great story, it's, a, it's an even better story against the backdrop of what that industry went through with, with COVID. And I just love it because it, it wasn't me facilitating it. They took what we taught them and said, right, we're going to do it ourselves." And therefore, as a result, by making money, their staff morale, when everyone else's hotel morale was shot. They went from being a toxic culture where no one wanted to work there with this proactive GM. Staff morale went through the roof. They were recognized globally by their chain as one of the only successful hotels to actually do something. And yeah, so that, that becomes my fun case study. But it was extra fun because it was in the confines of COVID. Now, look, there's many others, but, but that one was something that I felt was really quite valuable. Oh, that sounds fascinating as well. I mean, is that available on your website if people wanted to? It is, but I wasn't allowed to use permission of the name of the hotel. I wished I wished I could, but the case study is written up on the website. We've got quite a few case studies written on the website because I want 
I want companies to see that we are not industry specific. This, this changing the culture and the mindset and then giving them the tools and, and design thinking are really just tools and tools are only as good as the trades people using them and then giving them the tools and letting them do it themselves rather than, you know, that maybe that's the difference between us and Accenture and McKinsey that send in their consultants to do it for you. We want to empower the client to learn it themselves and do it themselves and, and come away with their own solutions. That means they'll continue to do it long after we've left them. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Andrew, we are out of time, but I'd love to just give you the last question around how do people find out more? Can they get the book now? Is it out? And how do they get in touch with you? Look, the, the simplest website is whokillcreativity.com because that's an easy one if you're, if you're only listening to this. But our most updated one is our company one, which is Tyrian, which is T-I-R-I-A-N.com. And then if you go into that, we've got different topics. I mean, one day we'll talk about innovation. Another day we can do a podcast on communication. But you can then go into the topic suite and, and, and click on the creativity link. And then you'll see all the different workshops. And, and look, I know we're a long way away. And I know airfares are ridiculously expensive at the moment. So there are self-led courses that, that you can go on as a, as, a, as a teacher, as a trainer. You can buy the online learning module. That, as I said, we've put these creativity game boards up and I hope we're not doing ourselves out of a job, but a good facilitator can buy the book, watch my TED talk, listen to this podcast, and then download the Miro board and away they go. It's all there if you're a good teacher. And you can use that Miro board, reset it and 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 do your own diagnostic and, and take your own team through that. So as I said, because we're a long way away, that that's been the that's been the advantage of really being forced to go digital, that that now we can be present everywhere. And whilst we can't be flying in it on the drop of a hat anymore, people can now download that. So that, all those downloads are all on the, on the Tyrion.com website. And the book's available from Amazon, Kindle, Audible, all that, all that other stuff. Plus the free podcasts. So, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of content out there. And, and please do get in touch with me. You know, we love talking to passionate people about our topic. Thank you so much, Andrew. You've certainly inspired me on this episode. And it's absolutely lived up to my expectations. Thank you.